Coming up next on Contemplate. Um, you'll never hear us tell you or anybody else to just, just believe. Just believe it. Just believe it on faith, blind faith. I said it, so you should just believe it. You'll never hear that from us. There are reasonable reasons for everything that we believe. So why do you believe what you believe? And not just about faith, about anything. Another thought-provoking episode is on the way. And here's Pastor David with today's lesson, recorded live at Acts Church. Let's talk about what the goal is of this series so that we understand why we're doing this, what we're doing. If you're a skeptic, if you're somebody who is questioning, seeking truth, trying to work with it, wanting to engage and discover and figure things out, um, we want to offer an explanation for the reason that Christians believe what they believe. Why do we believe what we believe? We want to give you a reason for that. We want to give you an opportunity to interact with the evidence and the logic that supports belief in God and in Jesus Christ. And we want you to have the opportunity to wrestle together with us um, with the implications of that evidence. So um, for those who are already Christ followers, this is about um, wanting to review the reasons why we believe what we believe, right? We want to resource you in your ability to give a reason for the hope within you. You know why, but you need, um, from time to time, we all need to, to go over it again, to resource ourselves, to be able to answer uh, those who ask tough questions, right? Um, Christians are called to be thinkers. Christians are called to be thinkers. Christianity is a thinking belief system. It's a thinking belief system. God gave you a mind so that you could struggle with the big questions and understand them. That's what your mind is for. Um, you'll never hear us tell you or anybody else to just, just believe. Just believe it. Just believe it on faith, blind faith. I said it, so you should just believe it. You'll never hear that from us. There are reasonable reasons for everything that we believe. There are reasonable reasons for everything we believe. Um, and so you might ask, why, why is this um, different, this seems kind of different than normal church. Maybe you haven't been in a church that's uh, done a series quite like this or engaged with these kinds of questions. And I'm not really sure what um, normal church is, um, but I can tell you this about Acts Church, if you're new or wondering, we're very committed to teaching the Bible. And so that's what we're called to do as a church, and that's what we do, and we love to do that. Um, but part of teaching the Bible is to lay the groundwork for why we believe that there's a God in the first place. We have to lay that groundwork. We have, to, we have to believe that there's a God before we believe that God is the true God of the Bible, right? And, and why we believe the Bible is reliable and why we believe you can trust it. Those questions can't be grounded in the Bible until we have a reason to believe the Bible. We can't say to someone who's questioning, um, the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true, right? That's not a convincing um, argument to someone who doesn't yet believe that there's a God or doesn't yet believe that the Bible is true. You can't use the Bible then to prove the Bible because they don't trust the Bible. Does that make sense? So uh, we have to go through the process of laying a groundwork for believing 
all of these things, right? Um, and so we need to be equipped to effectively answer those questions um, because people are out, out in this world are asking legitimate and tough questions. And God loves the people who are asking those questions. And Christ followers love the people who are asking those questions. And so part of loving people in this context is learning what you need to learn to know how to answer those questions because that's what love looks like. When somebody has legitimate questions, they're wondering about the questions of life, and you have answers, you should be able to give those and give them effectively, right? And so that's what we're doing. We're equipping you in that. Um, this, is, this is for everyone, okay? Um, we don't just preach to the choir sort of and do this kind of like, you know, like I said, we said it, just believe it and move on. Um, we love you. Whether you're here for the very first time, whether you've been here a long time, we love you and we want to take you seriously and we want to answer your real and honest questions. So you will be treated with respect, here, whether you're a Christ follower or an atheist or whatever you are, we'll respect you and we'll respect your intellect. And let me tell you why we do that. Um, we respect your intellect because we believe God made you in his image and likeness. And so because we believe that God made you in his image and likeness, we believe that you were made smart. We believe that you were made with the ability to think well and so we'll always treat you like you have the ability to think well. Okay, we know you can read, we know you can think, so we know that you're going to have questions, and we're going to treat you like your questions are serious, and we're going to take them seriously. Okay, um, you'll find that that belief that we have about you and your ability to think and your ability to um, to come to new discoveries and things like that is actually opposed to some other worldviews, which believe that your thinking process is random and determined. In other words, you don't really have. And so you're not really thinking what the molecules in your body and around you are making you do. And so you're not really thinking, you just have the illusion of thinking. We actually think you're really thinking. That's why we take this so seriously, okay? Now, having said that, our belief that you're smart does not mean that we will agree with everything that you think, okay? It doesn't mean that we'll agree with everything that you think, but it does mean that we believe we have a duty to justify our beliefs by showing that they are reasonable and that they're backed by evidence. That's the respect that we believe we owe, okay? We're not going to ask you to believe anything on blind faith. I'm, I'm very passionate about um, thinking well and about using logic and reason and evidence to discover truth and making sure that the answers to the big questions are coherent and comprehensive, that they make sense together and that they cover everything that we can possibly know, right? That it all fits. So the, those are things that I'm very passionate about. And I think that Christ followers, the more that you discover about God and who he is and the more that you see, the more passionate about those things you become as he grows you and transforms you. So um, before we can really begin a study like this, there are actually a couple objections, a couple things that we have to deal with, okay? Um, first, we have to defend the ability to have a study like this in itself. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to start kind of slow and work into this thing um, so that we're all on the same page about what it means to study these types of things, okay? Um, we are going to be defending truth statements, truth claims, 
about God, about nature, about who we are, about how you and I and all of us fit into the big story of life. But we first have to defend the idea that we can even talk about truth, that we can talk about truth at all. There are those who suggest that we cannot talk about truth. There are those who suggest that those who think that they have truth are arrogant, um, they're exclusivist, they've got an issue. And so um, one of the objections that I hear is something like this. I don't like the fact that Christians believe that their answers to the big questions are the only true answers. Some people say that. Some people are very concerned about that. I don't like that about Christianity. Um, why do Christians think that they're right and everybody else is wrong? Is another way I sometimes hear that. So let's be clear about a couple things. Just starting out. First, Christians do believe that they are right about what they believe. Okay? Of course they do, right? It would be silly not to believe that what you believed was true. If you did not believe that what you believed was true, by definition, you would not believe what you believe. So just, just to be clear, okay, Christians do believe that what they believe is true by virtue of the word belief and what it means, okay? Um, so Christians cannot be docked points. They can't be, there's no objection that's going to work for the fact that they think that the things that they think are true, okay? So let's get that straight. Second, and by the way, it's true for everybody. Everybody believes that what they believe is true. There's no problem with that. That's not, that's not a bad thing. That's not the, something objectionable. Second, Christians do not believe that no one else knows anything that's true. That's not what Christians believe. They don't believe that nobody else knows anything that's true. In fact, Christians believe that a lot of people who are not Christians believe a lot of things that are true. Right? Uh, for instance, you don't have to be a Christian to believe that murder is wrong or that two plus two equals four, right? Second, where another belief system has a belief that is contradictory to Christian belief, Christians do disagree, okay? For instance, Christians believe that Jesus Christ is God. Some folks do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. These are contradicting beliefs. We're saying a is A, and somebody else is saying A is not A, right? And so these are contradicting beliefs. Um, we do think in cases of contradiction that we are right and other people are wrong. Now, before you get too upset um, about that, look at the truth of the matter, okay? Believing that you're right when someone else believes something that contradicts your belief is really not a bad thing, okay? Um, some ask the question, why, why isn't everyone's opinion equally valid. I've heard that, right? Um, everyone's opinion is equally valid. Here's, here's the reason why that's not true. Because not all opinions are equally consistent with the truth. That may seem harsh, but I promise that it's not harsh. You'll see that. Um, I never went to a math teacher or even a history teacher or any kind of teacher when I got the wrong answer on a test and came back up to them and said, you should give me credit for my answer because my opinion is equally valid to your opinion, okay? That didn't work. I never tried it. I wouldn't have tried it because it'd be silly, right? There's a right answer, okay? I might argue that my answer is actually right and theirs is wrong, but I would never answer that, that both of our answers were right because our opinions were equally valid, okay? There are right answers and wrong answers, 
We know that. Just, we just know that by nature. Okay? Um, one person who uh, responded to one of you folks who was asking these questions that I set out said this, I only object if anyone believes their way is the only way. This is what they're talking about, belief in God and Christianity. The objection is, if anyone believes their way is the only way. So this is kind of that objection that I'm talking about here. The idea, and there were several of these. I just threw this one up on a slide because um, it was representative of a number of people's objection here. Um, so what's wrong with this statement? The statement that's being made here. The problem with the statement is it assumes that this person's way is the only way. The word object is a dead giveaway, right? I object means I think something other than what you're saying is true, but what I'm saying is I'm upset that you think that your thing is true. So why are you allowed to object and believe your thing is true, but I'm not allowed to object and think my thing is true, right? Objecting means I disagree, I think you're wrong. So um, saying all ways are equally true is an exclusive truth statement. Just as much as saying only one way is true is an exclusive truth statement. They're both exclusive truth statements. They contradict each other, which means that to hold one of them is to exclude the other one. So just because you include more in your exclusive truth statement doesn't mean you're not excluding some. If I say all five are good and I say only one is good, both of us are making exclusive truth statements that contradict each other right? And so one person saying, I don't like it, or I object to that, doesn't make any sense because they themselves are also being exclusive about what they believe, okay? There's a law of logic, a law of reasoning, okay? It's called the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction, this is what it is. Two truth claims that contradict one another cannot both be true in the same sense at the same time. It's just a law of logic, okay? We may or may not like it, but liking it or not is an emotional response, not a logical response, right? Here's the thing. All truth claims are exclusionary. All truth claims exclude someone and someone else's belief. So the truth claims of Christianity are the same as every other set of truth claims. They're exclusive, okay? They're exclusive, uh, one cannot use logic and object to Christianity on the ground that Christianity is exclusive because whatever other thing you put in its place is going to end up being exclusive too. Even if that thing says everybody's right, first of all, that statement is impossible. Impossible because if I contradict it, I can't be right based on the logic, logical law of non-contradiction, right? So you can't have that. You can't have everybody's right. Okay, so... Um, some people object to the exclusivity of any truth statement or any truth claim made by anyone when it's about God. One way or the other, believe in him, don't believe him, any kind of truth claim that's made about God, they object to any truth claim that's made about God, and they do this on different grounds, okay? Um, these objections would classify truth claims about God as arrogant because they're presumptuous. They're presumptuous. They're cheeky, as our British friends would say. Um, the reason they would say this is because they would claim there's not enough quality 
evidence. There's not enough quantity of quality evidence to make a determination about the existence or non-existence of God one way or the other. Now, that's a truth claim, right? They're saying, we do not believe that there's enough evidence to make a statement, a truth claim about God, whether he exists, whether he doesn't exist. They're making a statement about the amount of evidence necessary. So the question is, is that true, right? Is it true that there's not, okay? Um, there's there's a, a, a philosophical um, field called epistemology. And epistemology, you don't need to remember that word. It just, is, it just has to do with what do we know, how can we know, those types of, types of things. This objection is based in that, in epistemology. What can we know? How do we know it? What's necessary to know something, okay? How can people know that a truth claim is true? Um, it depends on what you mean by no. Okay, that's my lawyer answer. It depends on what you mean by no. Uh, we could talk for hours and hours on the nuances of the question, what can we know? How can we know? Okay, but providentially, we have at least some data to use to answer this question. The real question that we, ha- that we can get down to, that I think everyone can agree with, is what level of certainty do we need in order to be justified in believing that something is true? Okay, let me say that again. What level of certainty do we need in order to be justified in thinking that something is true? In other words, somebody could not object and say, you're arrogant to believe that God does or doesn't exist because you have enough evidence to justify a belief one way or the other. How much evidence do you need? What level of certainty do you need? As an attorney, I dealt with this issue all the time. It's called the burden of proof. The burden of proof, right? We convict people of crimes if we believe they committed an act and we have and they have a certain mental culpability, and we believe they committed that act with a certain level of certainty, with a specific level of certainty, okay? The level of certainty required to convict someone of a crime is beyond a reasonable doubt, okay? I don't have a single reasonable doubt about whether this person committed this crime. In other words, I'm pretty darn certain. You can never be completely certain because you weren't there. The point is that there is a standard, There's a standard for the amount of evidence necessary to justify believing that someone is guilty of a crime. There's a standard for it, okay? We all make decisions all the time that are based on evidence. In each case, we gather the evidence and we make the best decision possible based on the probability that the evidence suggests, okay? What is the most probable thing to be true? And we have differing levels of probability that we can get for different things. Most of you, for instance, believe that there is a country on the planet called North Korea. You believe that, even though probably none of you have been to North Korea. Maybe you have, but very few of you have been there, but probably all of you believe that North Korea exists. What justifies your belief that North Korea exists? Well, the probability that it does exist based on the evidence that you've seen. You've got a globe. It's on there, right? Maybe you've seen some video, right? Uh, who knows? Whatever it is, you believe that there's a place called North Korea, but you've never been there. Most of you have probably never been anywhere near it. 
that the idea that Asia exists is something you're taking on faith, right? But you believe it to be true, even though you don't know in some sort of crazy certain sense, you're pretty darn sure that there's such a place as North Korea based on the evidence. Most of you believe there was a guy named Julius Caesar, right? But none of you has ever seen him. I know that for a fact. Or even a photograph of him. Didn't have cameras at the time. But most of you believe that he was real. What justifies your belief? The probability that he existed based on the evidence. It's how we do stuff, right? That's how we come to truth claims. In the end, every belief that you have is at some level a faith belief, okay? Every belief that you have about factual statements like the ones we're talking about is at some level a faith belief. The question is how much faith, how much faith does it take to believe something? How much faith does it take to believe something is true, okay? Now, the Christian faith is no different in the way that we approach these truth claims. We approach them the same way. We are either, as Christians, justified in believing what we believe based on the probability that Christianity is true, based on the evidence, or we don't have enough evidence to make it probable and therefore not justified in putting our faith in it, right? There's nothing arrogant about believing in God if there's sufficient evidence to justify the belief that God exists. There really are reasons for what we believe, and you'll want to be sure and listen to part two as Pastor David continues to help us figure all this out. And if this kind of practical, thought-provoking Bible teaching is something you'd like more of in your own life, come see us at Acts Church this Sunday morning. We're real easy to find in Vancouver, Washington, and you can get directions anytime at actschurchnw.org or give us a call at 360-885-9000. Well, that's it for today, and I hope you'll be right here again next time for much more great Bible teaching here on Contemplate.